listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hi, family. How are you? <clears throat> Looks like you guys read the weather report for the weekend. Glad you're here. It's uh, what you get for missing church. You get rained on. It's what happens. Um, no, I hope people are having a great time building memories with their family, but we're really glad you're here. We are um, jumping into phase three of our Shaping Faith series. And so I want to um, kind of go back and review where we've been and then why kind of land on why we are headed where we're headed. And then uh, we'll jump into the guts of what we're talking about. So we've been through these three phases. Phase one is the core four. What are our core four? Text, Text prayer, Worship and fasting, right? Those are our core four. So those are our internal practices. Here they are. The text gives us knowledge. It helps us know things about God, about how the world's supposed to function, about our role in it, all of that th kind of thing. The prayer, prayer helps us with surrender and uh, surrendering our lives to God. It helps my heart become like God's heart. Worship develops intimacy with God and Fasting helps us develop self-control. And so as we put these things together, some of the issues that we face, um, read your Bible and pray, is the best answer. And that's always a good thing to do. But sometimes other combinations of these are more effective for a particular situation. Okay? So that's our internal uh, disciplines. And then um, our spiritual exercises. So then we jumped into our community phase, which is the circle. And the circle has eight pieces of effective community. And I want to say this again. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not all that would go into it. And, and because I've had people talk to me about like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Yeah, those are probably all valid things. But these are eight pieces of community that I find to be particularly significant. And, and so uh, these eight are conflict, forgiveness, Ownership, boundaries, priorities, empathy, identity, and emotional vocabulary. By the way, um, had a phenomenal conversation in my home group this last week about conflict. Like, didn't even get to the questions. <laughs> we just, I was like, guys, tell me about the sermon. And we were, boo, we were off to the races. I was like, okay, conflict. Like, it's great. It was a great conversation about it. If you didn't get to hear that sermon, I would really recommend that you go back and listen to it. JT did a bang up job. There, there were some people that came up to Josh after the service and said, man, where'd that guy come from? Well, after June the 9th, JT is going to be the longest standing employee that we have at the church. <laughs> he is, uh, he is, was there the opening Sunday that we had long hair. It was really funny. Uh, little boys become a man. But he did great. It was a great sermon. It was a great sermon. So um, that was there. But these are our eight pieces of um, healthy community. Now, what we're going to do is move into phase three. So we had our internal development, text, prayer, worship, and fasting. We have our external development, the components of healthy community. And now what we're going to focus on is our eternal development. So this is our triangle. And there's three pieces to it, service, celebration of others, and generosity. These three disciplines are actually really important for us because what they do is they help us put to death the flesh, okay? So we gotta talk about what that is 
and um, kind of what's happening with that. There's, there's been this um, raging debate in the Christian world since the beginning of the church about what role being a human plays in our own capacity for sin and our capacity to do good for that matter. So that, and there's, they're all over the map. There, there was this um, one phase early in the church where this doctrine called the doctrine of original sin emerged. Um, the doctrine of original sin is essentially this. When you're born, you are born stained with sin. You are a sinner at birth. And they use Romans 5, you know, sin entered the world through one man, so all men have sinned, um, all that. So if you died as a baby, you would die a sinner. Now, that's not true. It's not biblical, but it's where the doctrine stands. And then there's, there's all these vacillations over the centuries of what we do with that, okay? So back in the 60s and 70s, when all we had was King James and New American Standard, um, they translated flesh, the flesh, which is it's a good translation. Um, then in the 70s, this really provocative thing happened. The New International Version came out. And the New International Version was, I mean, it focused on readability and not translation. And oh my goodness, you would have thought um, somebody had assassinated the Pope. Like it was a big deal. I love, I'm thankful for the NIV because I'm a Christian today because of the NIV because I could read it and understand it. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't really, especially when I was young, I couldn't really grapple with the New American Standard and the King James. It was over my head. NIV was readable for me. But the NIV translated the flesh, the sinful nature. And the idea of the sinful nature is that I'm not born a sinner, but I'm born predisposed to sin. It's kind of in my nature. And, and while that's true, that doesn't really get at the flesh. Like, what is the flesh? Okay? So here's what I want to talk about for just a minute. The flesh is any time that we do anything to satisfy a temporary desire. That's the flesh. Anytime that we do anything that satisfies a temporary desire. So, ice cream. <laughs> you guys are like, <laughs> that's knowing laughter. That's what that is. Food, here's the thing. Food is an idol in our culture. It just is. And we don't talk about it. And we need to because... We're killing ourselves. Like, for real, we're killing ourselves. And my wife and I have been on this amazing journey um, for, like, my wife's doing, she's lost, like, 55 pounds. Like, she's, she lost a small human. Like, that's, it's incredible. It's, she's doing so good. But this transition of what happens when we stopped eating our emotions, right? Because what, what we do is we get all emotionally worked up about something, and then, we go have a bowl of ice cream or whatever, whatever your thing is, and then we feel better, and so then that obviously took care of the problem. It didn't. What it did was it created unresolved emotion, and we talked about that when we talked about emotional vocabulary. That creates all kinds of problems. But we eat our emotions, 
and, and we turn to food rather than to actually processing our emotions. When, when we're upset with one another or we're upset with other people or whatever. So my wife and I have been on this incredible journey, right? Like, what does it mean to put to death the flesh? What does it mean? And those temporary desires, like, obviously doing drugs, you know, getting drunk, all, all of those things like, yes, uh, lust, are those all part of the flesh? Yes, 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 all of that. But I think there's a whole big piece of the flesh that we don't even really want to address because we live in a culture of opulence. We live in a culture of overindulgence and we call that God's blessing and it isn't, it's the flesh. So we got to talk about that. We got to put to death the flesh. And what we're going to look at today is one way that Paul says that we can kill the flesh, okay? There's this other tension that we have, and that is freedom. Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection sets us free. And, and so we have, free, and Paul will say it's for freedom that you've been set free, right? So we have freedom, but what does that look like? And when is freedom when, when do we overextend our freedom? And so we're going to have to talk about all that too. Um, in order for us to do that, I want to throw up a picture. This is a map of Paul's first missionary journey. Come with me to Turkey and we will um, see most of these places. So they begin in Antioch, Seleucian Antioch over here. There are 11 Antiochs in the first century. Um, yeah, there's a lot of them. So Antioch, Seleucian Antioch, they, they get set aside for the work of the ministry. Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, they sail over to Cyprus. Why? Because that's where Barnabas is from. Um, and so it, what's interesting about their trip is they don't really seem to have an itinerary. Like they don't really know where they're going next. They just pray and then God tells them where to go and then that's where they go. Um, not a plan that most mission boards and churches would support. And yet here we sit today because of it, so maybe there's that. But they hike across the island to Paphos and they meet a guy there by the name of Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus is a Roman official and they meet him there. Saul changes his name to Paul there. Paul in the Greek is what? Paulus. He takes on Sergius Paulus' family name. And then they make a beeline straight up north for Pisidian Antioch. Why? Another sermon for another day, but that's Sergius Paulus' hometown. It's where he's from. And so there's a whole big reason why Paul goes there. Then they go over to Iconium Lystra Derby, and then they turn around and go back, and then they sail down Perga Italia. They get in a boat and they sail back to Antioch, and that's the first missionary journey. Okay? What I want to look at here is between Antioch and Iconium, there's a line there. And on one side of it is on this left-hand side is the region of Galatia, settled by the Gauls, not very creative. Um, and the Jews in this area are Shamite Jews. And, and that matters because the whole letter of the Galatian letter is written around kind of reconciling Jesus and the, and the Shamite views of being a Jew, Okay. So in the first century, there's two kind of major schools. There's Hillel and there's Shammai. Hillel was love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We show God that we love him by loving the people that he's made. Shammai said, 
Love the Lord your God with thy heart, soul, and strength. The second one is honor the Sabbath. Like, we show God that we love him by obeying the rules. And so they are very fundamentalist. Um, they're very black and white. The zealot movement comes out of the Shamite school. The, the people that were trying to kill and, and they were really militant and dogmatic and all the things that, uh, that we would say maybe overextends what it means to follow God. They were all of those things. That's the kind of Jews that are in Galatia. And so when, when Paul comes to Galatia and he starts preaching freedom through Christ and that because of Jesus, you don't have to be this rule-following Jew in order to worship the God of the Jews. For them, it was like, whoa, this is incredible. This is the most amazing thing ever. We're free. We're not burdened by the law. We're free. And so what happens is they start celebrating. Well, then there's these other people called Judaizers that come on the scene and try to get them back into following Torah. Well, the problem with that is we got to wrestle with who the Judaizers are. And the old school was that the Judaizers were um, Orthodox Jews who were trying to undo Paul's ministry. Okay? All new scholarship, and this, this has actually got a lot of credibility to it, will now say the word that's translated Judaizer is the common word for anyone from Judea, a Judean. Jerusalem is in Judea, and so the common, the common thought now is that the Judaizers were Jesus followers from the church in Jerusalem who were following Paul and trying to undo his message, which is why he has this whole conversation in Galatians, at the end of Galatians 1 and 2, about who he is and where he came from and the fact that his message was validated by Peter and James, who were the elders at the church in Jerusalem, right? So this whole tension of freedom and rules, following the rules, and how does that work in putting to death the flesh, it's all within the Jesus movement. This isn't Jew versus Christian. This is Jesus follower versus Jesus follower, this conversation that's going on in Galatians. And so with that in mind, I want to enter into Galatians chapter 5. Let me set one more piece. Most of the letters of Paul in the New Testament, he'll say, Paul, an apostle of Christ, grace and peace to you. I thank my God every time I remember you for your some version of faith, hope, and love, right? In the Galatian letter, he begins with this. Paul, an apostle of Christ, grace and peace to you. I am astonished that you have forgotten so quickly the, the things that you were taught. Like he comes out so winging, right? No, no Mr. Nice Guy with them. And that's the whole tenor of the letter. And, and so when you read that, it's like, whoa, he means business. He's really angry that these people who have adopted this mindset of freedom are getting sucked back into the law. He's really upset about that. So Galatians chapter five. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be. Now that's tongue in cheek, absolutely. He's like, whoever that may be, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He knows exactly who it is. He knows what's going on. We'll have to pay the penalty. 
Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Next slide. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> Paul said that. Actually, the Holy Spirit said it through Paul. Don't, don't email me. No emails to me. Email Paul. He said it. Here's the thing. He's talking about this whole idea of circumcision. Like what, what the, one of the complaints they have was like, you're trading this set of rules for another set of rules. You're just swapping a sets of rules. That's all you're doing. And Paul's like, listen, if I'm preaching a circumcision, then everything that happened on the cross, it was meant nothing. So for you guys that are talking about like how your circumcision makes you special, why don't you go ahead and be really special and take the whole thing? Like, that's what he says. I, I think he was thinking that then their way of life would be dead in one generation, right? Um, but anyway, that's what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, listen, if it's about the law, then take the law to the extreme. Do it that way. Here's what he says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were called to be free. Christ sets us free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Remember our conversation about the flesh. Just because you have the freedom doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. That's not how freedom works. Freedom, and we love freedom in, in America. We love our freedom. I love my freedom. But freedom, properly understood, is never the ability to do whatever you want. Freedom is the ability to do whatever you ought. And because as soon as I do whatever I want, I impose on your freedom which is the world that we're living in right now because everybody's stepping on everybody's toes and everything's polarized and everybody's trying to be right and I'm, I, it's what I want, it's what I want, it's what I want. It's not, that's not what freedom is. Freedom is the ability to do as we ought. So what he says is, listen, you are free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't use your freedom to justify chasing temporary desires. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So what's the antidote to indulging the flesh, according to Paul? Serving one another humbly in love. That's Paul's antidote to indulging the flesh. So if you're struggling with indulging the flesh, at least a piece of the answer is, you got to serve one another humbly and love. So let's keep reading. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. How did Paul just define loving your neighbor as yourself? Serve one another humbly in love. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, 
or you'll be destroyed by each other. This is a big debate, especially in the Jesus community. Like everybody's, well, you do this and you do this and you do that. And I, I would never, I would never do that, right? I would never do that. How could you? What Paul is saying is, look, if you guys keep posturing like that, you're going to destroy each other. That's not helpful. Let's keep reading. So I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Now, we're going to work through this list. Some of them are like, of course, of course. Some of them are like, Paul, you're in my closet. Like, you're a little too close to home, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Of course. Like, yes. Stay away from witchcraft. <laughs> like, all those, I, yes. Hatred, discord, and jealousy. Ugh, that one gets a little closer to home. Do you know what discord is? Here's what discord is. Anytime that you say anything bad about someone to someone else. That's discord. How are we doing? Anytime that you say anything bad about someone to someone else. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't talk to one another about where we're at and what's going on. doesn't mean we can't do that. But anytime that we talk to someone else negatively about a person that isn't there, that's discord. It's wrong. It's sin. I, I could go on about that. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. Dissensions is any time in a church family, I'll give you this in this context, where there's a group of us that get together and we decide we know better. And we talk about it and we... Well, they should have done this. They should have made that. They, me, 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 me. They, they should have me, me, me. They were wrong. They were, how, how dare they? Me, 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 me. Yeah. You know what the great thing is about leadership? When you're a leader, you have to make decisions without all the information. The great thing about being the critiquer of the leadership is that you get to critique the result of the decision after it's been made. Great for you. And it's easy once that, like it's, that's easy. That's not, that's not, well, we were so much more mature, we would have handled it so differently. And it's, it's dissension. It's dissension. And it has no place in the body of Christ. Factions and envy. Drunkenness and orgies. Okay, now we're back. Yes. <laughs> those are bad. Don't do those. <laughs> that middle section is hard because Paul is stomping on my toes. Like, I don't like that. I don't like it at all. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Like his threat is if you're going to sow discord, you don't inherit the kingdom. Ugh. I don't like that. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know what he just said? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here's what that means. Here's what that means. If, if you say you're a Christian, act like a Christian. Or don't say you're a Christian. Now, I'm, Paul is all about what's called sanctification, the process of becoming, right? And he gave us our, our key here. How do we become more and more spirit-led and less and less led by the flesh? How do we do that? According to Galatians 5. Serve one another humbly in love. That's how we do it. This is why service is central to the Christian life. Not only because it helps other people know what God's like, but because it helps me deal with my own stuff in my life. So he says, since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Don't do that stuff. Like his invitation to us is, Service is central to the way that we become more like God. Yes, it's a way that we tell the world what our God's like. Absolutely it is. But it's bigger than that. It's also a way that we deal with the fleshly desires that are at war within us, right? Like, I really want ice cream. Serve one another. (laughs) Like in part, I would tell you, in part, those two things are connected. And I know that that's weird sounding, but they are connected because the desire that drives me to eat ice cream knowing that every bite is, a, a little piece of me is dying because it's so bad for me. It is so bad. Um, and I still am like, I don't put it in a bowl. <laughs> like I buy the two gallon bowl, peel the lid and get on it, right? Love me some ice cream. Big spoon, big spoon. I stretch the capacity to, like, ah, you know. And then I'm like, oh, I'm hideous. What have I done? You know, like, you know the cycle. The answer to that, in part, in part, the answer to that is serving one another humbly in love. Because what that does is it re-engineers my perspective on the world. So the issues that would drive me to do that in the first place, they don't drive me to do that anymore. Because as I serve one another humbly in love, I'm maturing. And through that maturity, I become something more like what God's like. Right? Now, don't go home and throw out all your ice cream. Unless you feel convicted about it and then do throw out all your ice cream. Um, but at the same time, I think all of us have got to wrestle with what does it mean to put to death the flesh? Because as much as we're called to live like a Christian, we're also called to put to death the flesh. Like what does that look like for us? And with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table, which we have an open table uh, every week. We take communion here, and if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we want you to partake in communion with us. But we want you to hold the elements till the end, and we'll take them all together. While they're passing that out, we're going to work through a few questions for home group this week. Um, Question number one. 
how do we know when we've taken advantage of our spiritual freedom? That's a great conversation to have with your people that are in your small group. Like, how do we know when we've crossed the line? Is it just, I can do whatever I want? Or is there, where, where is that place? When is too far, too far? It's a great question. Number two, what is the effect of Christians being negative about other Christians? What is the effect on the world's perception of us and on our perception of God? That's an important conversation to have because we have a tendency to be pretty critical. Um, I heard, I've heard people say over the years that the church is the only organization in the world that eats its wounded. Like, come on. Uh, next one. How do we live in the tension of serving those that we disagree with? How do we do that? So you have a boss at work that is a dirty so-and-so. And he or she has did you wrong. And you go to the water cooler and somebody else is there talking about how bad of a boss he or she is. What do you do? If you engage the conversation, it's sin. We are called to talk about people differently. This is deeply convicting for me because I love being right and I love justifying myself. I'm, I'm kind of a master at it. I'm really good at whatever I did, it was the right thing and anybody else, that, that, theirs was the wrong thing. I'm really good at that in my own mind. It's hard to not engage. How do we live in that tension with those that we disagree with serving them? It's hard. Next question. Our lives should be a display of what we believe our God is like. What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit and how does that look in the midst of complex moments? Like, I would just propose an idea. We have all these really complex things on the landscape of our culture right now. Um, moral issues and political issues and all these different things that are going on. And I wonder if you know, even God's people, people who are Bible-believing, God-fearing people land all over the map on any number of these issues. And I wonder if maybe part of the reason why is because God is not so much interested in us solving the riddle of the moral dilemma as much as he is interested in us serving one another in love. And that when we do that, in the midst of these complex, where we're all over the map, even within this room, we're all over the map on these issues. Our call isn't to solve the issue, our call is to serve one another in love. So how do we navigate that in the midst of really complex times? I love um, taking communion as this fundamental reminder that the place where we begin in understanding how to walk out our faith well, how to keep in step with the Spirit, is in modeling 
what Jesus did, and that is laying our lives down. This is where we begin. That we would choose to not press our own agenda, but that we would choose to serve others in love, humbly. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then the same way after the dinner, he took a cup, and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, I just want to say thanks for um, your incredible grace and belief in us to be representations of you. And Lord, I pray that through Holy Spirit that you would gently remind us when we've crossed our bounds and we've let our flesh get the best of us. God, thank you for all the ways that you you just keep loving us back again and again and again. And for this amazing call to serve, help us to do not only the action, but the action with the right heart. In your name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.